In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Hi, guys. So basically, for the talks, uh, I'm going to lay the groundwork. of, And so, so bear with me in the beginning. It's going to be slightly like heavy on like uh, information. But then hopefully... Uh, for our lives um, So as our reference point we're going to take uh, The first six parts of the Sunday Theotokia. So basically the just for those who may know or may not know um, The church has set in place in the midnight praises. There's always a section Called the Theotokia, and the Theotokia it's a praise for Saint Mary So that part of the midnight praise is dedicated to Saint Mary and we have a Theotokia for every single day of the week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they're identified as such. So if I'm referring to the Wednesday Theotokia or, I'm, or if I'm referring to the Sunday Theotokia, it means it's the praise for St. Mary that the church has put in place in the midnight praise on that day. And the Theotokias are, they are constant. So they never, they never move, they never shift. Even in tune, they never change. It's always the same tune. Uh, maybe slight variances uh, during special seasons, but for like the 99.9% .9 of time, like they're, they're constant. Um, so in particular, what, to, what I'm going to focus on, if I zoom in now, so now I told you guys about like the Theotokias in general. If I take now the Sunday Theotokia, and the Sunday Midnight Praise is very special because Sunday is the day of the Lord, so it's more elaborate. I'm not going to go through the whole detail of like the construction of the Midnight Praise. I just want to go straight into the Theotokia itself. The Theotokia, we can split it up into like six, uh, and sorry, into three sections. All right? But three sections, it's different from the parts. So basically, the Theotokia itself has about 15 parts or 18 parts, like for resurrection. For the sake of discussion, let's just keep it to 15 parts. So the Theotokia itself has 15 parts. One to six is one section. Seven, eight, nine is one section. 10, 11, 12. Is, is another sorry 13 14 15 is another section okay so again 1 to 6 is one section 7 to 9 is another section and then 10 until the end is another section and like I've, I've cut up these sections based on like the tune that changes between 6 and 7 there's a gospel in the middle so they're like even when you stand in midnight praise they are clearly divided like these three sections for the purpose of the talk the first, we're going to focus on the first six parts, which is the first section. So the first six parts. In each part of the Sunday Theotokia, the church has put in place uh, different items of the tabernacle from the Old Testament and shown or explains how this item resembles St. Mary. So what we're going to do is that we're going to take each one of these items so basically we have three talks so we're going to take two items per talk we're going to see how does that how does this item uh, resemble saint mary and how can we be that item as well as abuna was saying that if she is the temple of god and we are called to be the temple of god that means in the same way or in a parallel way that she fulfills those items or she resembles those items we should also resemble those items was that clear or too complicated Everyone following me? It's very important if you're lost now <laughs> that I know about it because otherwise like, I'm, everything is built on this foundation. Is this clear? Everyone's good? And if you, and if, and if you do find any of this confusing like, and you don't remember like, 
did he say like like one through six was one section and then what was it one through eight or whatever? It really doesn't matter. I remember like the church was completely illiterate for the first seventeen centuries, right? Except for the clergy and the readers. Like there was a rank of the in the diaconate called the reader, because they could read. And no one else could. You know? Right? So the church was ma- wasn't made for like theologians. The church w- was made for and the the summary of what I'm saying is that if you find any of this confusing, just come tonight. You know? And it'll all make sense. You know? Because like Mark says, the tune changes. You know, like it's one tune and then there's another. So you feel like something changed, you know? Um, and that's intentional. If you could just bring the pictures, yeah, the first picture. So before we get into it, I'm just going to do a very like uh, ov- brief overview of the layout of the tabernacle, just so that when we start to talk about each item, we're going to understand uh, what we're talking about or what the item looks like. So basically, this is the layout of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. So basically, outside you have the altar of sacrifice, and then you have the bronze basin. All right. So the altar of sacrifice. This is where they used to slay, or like slaughter all of the animals. Right. So the bulls, the the sheep, and whatever, everything was slaughtered outside. You have the bronze basin. Right. This is where the priest would like wash his hands, and then as you enter into like that rectangle that you guys see there. This is, this is often, like when you're talking about the tabernacle, it's either referring to that rectangle or as a whole, it could refer to like the whole big picture. So within, let's say, the smaller rectangle, and for the purpose of our discussion, we'll call that the tabernacle, so that little rectangle. It's split into two sections. So the two-thirds of it is called the holy place, and then the inside is called the holy of holies. In the holy place, as you guys see, there's the table of showbread, you have the altar of incense and you have the lampstand. These are the items that are, in the, that are in that section of the tabernacle. On the table of showbread, there's holy bread that's being offered on a, I believe it was on a daily basis. You have the altar of incense where the priest would offer incense. And you have the lampstand, which basically it was kind of like candles with oil and and you always had people that would come and refill the oil to make sure that it was burning constantly. And then you have the veil that separates the two places. And then inside you have the Holy of Holies, which has the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat, which look like this. So the Ark is the box itself. And the Mercy Seat is the cover that you guys see on top with the two cherubim that cover it with their wings. The Holy of Holies, it was the high priest only who would enter there once a year on the Day of Atonement. So in in the holy place, in the holy place, slightly embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) In the holy place, you had all of the priests that would enter on rotation and they would go and either offer the the bread on the the table of showbread or or they would offer incense on the on the altar of incense they would do this on a rotational basis and then the holy of holies was the high priest only who would enter once a year with his hands f- 
filled with the blood of the sacrifice, and he would actually enter with the, into the Holy of Holies with a chain around his waist. And, he, and at the bottom of his robe, he had bells. The reason for this is that as he enters, should something happen and he dies in there, gets a heart attack and dies, well, no one is allowed to go get him. So if they stop hearing the bells and they yank on the chain and there's no resistance, well, they, they know he either fainted or died, so they would pull him out because no one else was allowed in there. That's how sacred and consecrated that place was. And that's why it's called the Holy of Holies. And between the two cherubim, between the two cherubim, there would be a blue light that would appear when the priest would go in. And that, that blue light was called Sakina, like closer to the Arabic word, like El Sekin, which is basically the apparition or the appearance of God to his people. And he would appear between the two cherubim. So that was like almost like as close as it got to as close as it got to God taking form or being visible in the Old Testament. Yes. This is at the time of Moses. So, okay, if we go back uh, behind Moses, so back to Abraham. So Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, correct? The fourth, sorry, uh, the third tribe, the third tribe of Israel was the tribe of Levi, or the third son of Jacob, his name was Levi, and his descendants was the line that was chosen to be priests. Yes, from that tribe. And so, so Levi, his descendants were the priests. So Moses and Aaron and Miriam, the three siblings, they all come from that tribe. The high priest had to be not only from the tribe of Levi, but he had to be a descendant of Aaron himself. Because Aaron was the first high priest. So the priests, in general, they come from the tribe of Levi, the third son of Jacob. And the high priest is from the descendants of Aaron specifically. Is that okay? So this blue light, is it a symbol or did it actually happen every year? It actually happened every year. And so did it happen even when uh, the father of uh, John the Baptist actually, like, well, when the father of John the Baptist, Zacharias, when he went, he was actually, and actually the gospel says he was offering incense on the altar. So he wasn't, he wasn't a high priest, he was a priest, and he was outside of the, of the veil. He was outside the holy, he was not in the holy of holies, he was outside. He was offering incense, so he was here at the altar of incense. And actually, and actually, the gospel was even more clear saying that Archangel Gabriel appeared on the right side of the altar of incense so you know exactly where he appeared to him. And it even says that it, it was his lot so the lot fell on him to offer incense so it was his rotation. Is that okay? And so in the church today the altar is like the Holy of Holies and we are like like, like St. Peter says, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So only the priests would go in the holy place. Right? So if, if the altar where, like, where the, like, like, 
the bread and the wine are during the liturgy and that's where the transformation happens so on that's where Abuna and two three deacons are standing okay if that's the holy of holies then where are you all standing during the liturgy the holy place. Who are the, the only people that were allowed to go in the holy place in, in Moses' time? The priests. So you are indeed a royal priesthood. And you'll notice that, that um, in, in the church, like for example, during mat, like raising of incense, matins raising of incense, vesters raising of incense, 90% of the service or more happens outside the altar. The priest almost does not stand in the altar at all. And when he stands outside, why? Because most of raising of incense is raising incense. <laughs> like, right? That's why the service is called that. And the altar of incense was outside the Holy of Holies. Right? So it's all coherent. What's Sorry. symbolized by the lampstand now on the altar upstairs? Well, we're going to go through like through each item and we're going to see we're going to see what's what what are the equivalents and 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 again how can we be those items but i mean the lampstand at that time it was it was like to provide light like the practical sense was to provide light like in the in that place right they don't have like lamps and stuff so for us is the equivalent of like today of like let's say like the chandeliers or even the candles that we hold at the altar um and actually abuna brought up a good point because at that time, the people would stand outside, the priests were in the holy place, and the high priest would be in the holy of holies. And now, after Christ, well, now the promotion happened where the people can move to the holy place, the priests, all of them move to the holy of holies. And then the next promotion will be at the second coming, where everyone will be able to enter into the holy of holies, but this time it won't be down here, it'll be up in the kingdom of heaven. Is this clear? Basic layout? So now we're going to move over to the, to the Sunday Theotokia. So, so this is part one. So like I said, each part has like several paragraphs. Obviously, I'm not going to go through every paragraph. I'm going to select like three paragraphs per part. And we're going to try to take these paragraphs, see how St. Mary fulfills this paragraph, and then see how we can also fulfill this paragraph or what lessons for our spiritual lives we can benefit from. And as of now, for every part, it's gonna be the pattern that we're gonna do for all six parts. Um, so the first paragraph that I'm gonna, so we're gonna, we'll read through the entire part just so you guys get an idea of what it's all about. And then I'll select the paragraphs for, for meditation. So it says, you are called righteous, O blessed one among women, the second tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, wherein are the tablets the tablets of the covenant and the ten commandments which are written by the finger of god they have directed us to the yota the name of salvation of jesus christ who was incarnate of you without change and became the mediator of a new covenant through the shedding of his holy blood he purified the faithful to be a justified people and then this is the chorus or like one half of the chorus it says wherefore everyone magnifies you O my lady the mother of god the ever holy and we also pray that we may win mercy through your intercessions with the lover of mankind. So basically every part of the six parts, or even of the first seven parts, is split into two. And these two paragraphs are what separate the two parts. As we move on, it says, Who can speak of the honor of the tabernacle which Moses had made on Mount Sinai? 
He made it with glory as commanded by the Lord and according to the pattern shown unto him. Therein Aaron and his sons served the example of the highest and the shadow of the heavenly ones. They likened it to you, O Virgin Mary, the true tabernacle wherein dwelled God. And then this is the second half of the chorus. Wherefore we magnify you befittingly with prophetic hymnology. For they spoke of you with great honor, O holy city of the great king. We entreat and pray that we may win mercy through your intercessions with the lover of mankind. So now if we go back to the beginning. The first paragraph I want to focus on for our purpose or for our spiritual benefit is the second one, which, which says, which is called the Holy of Holies, wherein are the tablets? Maybe what I forgot to mention is that in the ark, so I showed you guys the picture of that box. In that box, there were three items. There was the rod of Aaron, the rod of Aaron. I'm not going to go through the whole story of like the rod of Aaron, but I'm just going to mention it. So the rod of Aaron, the golden pot that had the manna, so basically the children of Israel, God would feed them with bread in the desert. And the way it would happen is that like in the morning, when they would wake up and they see the, and they see the dew like on the grass, like we would see the dew. The dew for them was like this little kind of seed or little like pastry that they would then like, you know, make into like, like, a, like a wafer almost. And then they would bake it and that was bread. And it would become bread for them. Right? So that's the manna and, that's, and this is what was like God's bread that was that he would literally send down from heaven for them so the ark had the golden pot that had manna so the manna was put into like a golden pot kind of like how the body today is put into a a, a platter or a, or a pattern it had the rod of aaron and it had the tablets so the rock, the stone tablets that were written with the finger of god where he wrote the commandments on them those three items were in that box so it says, wherein are the ta uh, sorry, which is called the Holy of Holies, wherein are the tablets of the covenant and the Ten Commandments, these which are written with the finger of God. If I resemble the tabernacle to either me or the building of my spiritual life, well then the tabernacle is very representative in the sense that my spiritual life should also have two sections. There is the holy place, and this many people enter, right? Like we said, the priests enter, and many people can see it, and it's, it's more or less public. This represents to us the public or the, the communal aspect of our spiritual lives. When we come to pray together, that part is essential for the building of the tabernacle. We cannot have a tabernacle that did not have a holy place. I cannot have a tabernacle that only has a holy of holies. I need both sections. So that section is crucial. And like among our youth, oftentimes that seems to be the most disposable part. We're like, I have my relationship with God between me and Him and it's personal and I love Him and He loves me. And there seems to be this idea going around that I'm not in need of the church or in need of the fellowship which is wrong and is completely non-biblical when St. Paul speaks of the church and says that we are one body we are one body why would he use that analogy it's to say that for example Abuna John is not just someone else that attends to the same church as I do or someone else that I pray with if we are one body that means that he is part of me and I am part of him and this is why 
This is why the zealous servants that we have seen throughout our lifetime, they refuse to lose a soul because they consider that soul to be part of them. And losing that soul would have been the equivalent to them as cutting off an arm because this person is part of my body. When we partake of the, of the Eucharist, which we're gonna come to in part four, when we partake of the Eucharist, it's not just a one-on-one -on -one relationship. It's not just I'm coming to church to take communion and the body and blood and to go home and I have nothing else to do with anyone else. The communion doesn't just unite me with God, but it unites us all together so that we become one body. And that literally, you, everyone, becomes part of everyone. If this were to be set or, or really sink into our minds, our service would look very different. My service would look very different. Because then the person who leaves church is, a, is as if my hand were to begin to leave my body. And I would run after it exactly like I would run after my hand if it were to magically get off my arm and start walking away. And I remember someone, they were asking, uh, they were asking a question. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like the Coptic answers. Uh, there's like a, it's like a YouTube like series of Coptic answers. One of the priests who answers is from our church, Abuna Gabriel. And uh, like he had put me and like uh, a couple of other people like in charge that like, you know, some questions like they don't answer in videos. So just emails, like questions that are emailed, but he like, he, they still need answers, but it's not worth making a video out of it. So then he would send us the questions and then we would answer them like by email and whatever and reply. And then there was this one guy, he asked the question and he's like, how, like if I do not want to be, like I'm strongly paraphrasing now, but he says, if I do not want to be part of like the church, how do you counsel me to like live, like let's say my Christian life or like, or live, live among the community, but not like partake into anything. And then I told him, I'm sorry, but like I cannot even answer this question because this, if I were to answer this question and actually give you a procedure, it would entail that I'm okay with you leaving or with you not being part of the body, which is completely unacceptable. It's like asking me, instead of asking me, how do I heal my arm because it's sick? You're telling me, how can I live without it? Which should not even be an option. No matter how much pain my arm is causing me, cutting it off is not an option because it's part of me. This is the holy place, that part of our spiritual lives that involves everyone. And that part is very much mandatory. And the second section of my spiritual life is the holy of holies. This part equally as important as the other part or the public part. That part is between me and God. And this is the part that Christ talked about when he said, and you, when you pray, Shut, go into your room, shut your door and pray to your Father in heaven. Right? This is the part that's personal. And just like we see people that, that seem to dispose or seem to easily be ready to dispose of like that communal part of their spiritual lives, other people, they're very much into the communal, but once they go home and they close the door, there's nothing else there. And the limit of their spiritual life is... is like the extent of their spiritual life is the extent to which there's activities and there's events and there's stuff happening in the church. But outside or in their own rooms, nothing is going on, which is equally unacceptable. 
And notice, notice, is that the paragraph says, wherein are the tablets that have the Ten Commandments, these which are written with the finger of God. That holy of holies is where God writes down with his finger his relationship with you. The relationship that he has with you that he has, he has not had with anyone since the beginning of time nor until the end of time. This is where you build your custom-made relationship with Christ. That is only yours and his and no one else's. This is built into the Holy of Holies. And in this part of my spiritual life, no one has access. No one enters. This is the things that you do between you and God and no one knows about. No one knows the hours that you stay up at night praying to God. No one would know, for example, that little like under the table service that you have done to like a poor man or whatever. That part of your spiritual life that is hidden from everyone's eyes and it's only between you and God. That intimacy between us and Christ. And in that intimacy, in that intimacy, not only do we grow, but we also glow. And this is how your light shines before men, that they may see your works and glorify your Father in heaven. Why, why do you become a light? You become a light because you have spent time in that Holy of Holies. Believe me, lives are not changed by topics, by sermons. I'm, I'm saying this as a general. It's true, some people, they have very like fertile soil in their hearts. So the word hits them and then they bear fruit. That's true. I'm saying in general, lives are not changed by talk. Talk is very cheap. People's lives and youth's lives are changed when they see your life. And when they see that you have a relationship with God, then that will change them. Like I was telling, I was telling Abu Najan yesterday, you know, some people, they have like, they do these little small actions and those actions speak volumes beyond what a sermon can tell me. And I was telling him, back home, we had, uh, we had a priest who was visiting, very, very holy man. Um, he was visiting and then he was standing in the altar. He's, he's quite old. And uh, he asked a deacon, he's like, can you please get me a chair? So then like, in my head, like I'm standing outside, like we're, we're praying Vespers. So he's inside, I'm outside, and I see that like he, he's asked for a chair, whatever. Like I'm just going on with Vespers. So then I'm thinking, okay, well, obviously he's asking for a chair, he's old. He well deserves the right to sit down, haram. So then the deacon gets him a chair, and I'm expecting him to like put the chair behind him, and he's going to sit. Instead, what he does, he takes the chair flips it like this, puts it in front of him, goes on his knees and just leans with his arms on the chair. That, to me, that was 10 sermons on its own. Just that action. But what is, what is this? It's not something he did, like he, he wasn't aiming me. <laughs> he wasn't aiming to edify me by doing this. But this is the result of what he does in the Holy of Holies behind everyone's eyes. That, as, that intimacy, this is what will change lives. 
This is what will inspire youth. When they see us living a relationship with God, you know, like we stand as deacons. And oftentimes, you know, like there's the kids and then you need to tell them to be quiet and stuff. And it's like, shh, 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 shh. And, and this, we spend all liturgy doing this, right? Why, 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 why is it that as soon as I say shh, they turn around and they talk again? Because they think I'm just there as a disciplinarian. But you know, I've tried this and I found this to be much more effective. If I'm standing and praying, actually praying, and someone is talking over and over and over again, and then, and they see that I'm actually praying. And then, like it's come to a point where it's very loud, and I open my eyes and just look, just look. I don't need to yell, I don't need to say anything. Automatically they stop. Why? Because they feel they've interrupted a relationship. They feel that they've interrupted a dialogue. People's lives are changed when they see Christ in you. When does that happen? It happens in the Holy of Holies behind everyone's eyes. Where there's that personal finger of God that comes in and writes your life out. The next point. So from, from, from those paragraphs, we learn that our spiritual lives should also have two sections or two components just like the tabernacle had. The holy place, which is the communal aspect, and the, the holy of holies, which is the one-on-one -on -one aspect. And in St. Mary's life, we actually saw both of them. We saw the holy place where she went and served Elizabeth as St. Elizabeth as soon as she got the Annunciation. She went and served and she's, she's not serving only St. Elizabeth. She's serving like her whole household, maybe even the whole village very close-knit village. So that, that was the communal aspect of her spiritual life. Where did we see her Holy of Holies? When the Bible would say what? And she pondered these things in her heart. The Holy of Holies. It is not, it is not for us to know what, what went on in there. And, she, and this and this and this happened. And like big major events. This and this happened. And she kept all these things in her heart the holy of holies the next point he made it with glory so that's I think in the second part so it says who can speak of the honor of the tabernacle which Moses had made on Mount Sinai it says he made it with glory as commanded by the Lord and according to the pattern shown unto him so there's two components that contributed to Moses making the tabernacle. He made it with glory as commanded by the Lord, one, and second, according to the pattern shown unto him. In our lives, what does this mean? Again, if the tabernacle is the building of my spiritual life, it says he made it with glory. What makes the tabernacle so glorious? What makes the tabernacle glorious is that God dwells in it. The dwelling of God in the tabernacle is the essence of its glory. If the tabernacle did not have God in it, God never came anywhere near it, right? How useless or worthless would be the tabernacle with all of its gold that, that, that was like put into it? 
What makes it glorious is the presence of God in it. What makes my life worth anything is the presence of God in it. And living, fulfilling the commandments of the Lord. When my spiritual life is built as commanded by the Lord, then it has glory. And this is visible in the lives of all of the saints and above them all, Saint Mary. When she says, let it be to me according to your word, all of a sudden she was high and lifted up. And all generations would call her blessed. Why? Because her life was built as commanded by the Lord. Nothing, nothing is more glorious or more beautiful than a person who has put himself in the hands of God and says, let it be to me according to your word. The liturgy of St. Gregory says something beautiful. It says what? The priest says, I write my works according to your sayings. What does it mean? It means, Lord, you speak and I do. The tabernacle must be built as commanded by the Lord. If it's as commanded by the Lord, and then it says, and according to the pattern shown unto him. What is this pattern? The patterns that are shown unto us are the people that have come before us and have lived the spiritual life. The people that have come before us and they have built their tabernacles as commanded by the Lord. Oftentimes we think that we're going to come here in 2018 and reinvent the wheel of spirituality. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, like, to do it my way. Do it my way. That's the slogan for something. What is it? Burger King? Have it your way? Subway? Have it your way? What is it? Someone am I? No? Okay. Yeah. Think so. Subway, have Harvey's. it. Harvey's, there you go. Have it, Harvey's, your way. have it your way. Right? And I think that I can build my spiritual life based on that. And I forget. You can at Harvey's. Yeah, you can at Harvey's. <laughs> but we forget that, that spiritual life didn't start in 2018. Spiritual life started at the time of Adam. And we drink from that spirit that gets poured down from generation to generation and then based solid foundation based on those patterns that were shown unto us then we build our tabernacle we don't just build it like and decorate it whichever way we want two things as commanded by the lord it means i need to follow the commandments of god my spiritual life has to be in a constant striving to fulfill the commandments of god but it also has to be according to the pattern or the patterns that were shown unto us why is it that we have an agbeya What's the point of an Agbeya? Like, like I get this argument very much from like the youth back home. And as if like, it's like everyone has like this strong like distaste towards the Agbeya as if it's like some like contradiction to their constitutional right of prayer. What's, what's the problem is that, oh, well, why would I use someone else's words? What's the point? It's because prayer is not something we're going to invent in 2018. Prayer has been going on since the time of Adam. Dialogue with God has been going on since the time of Adam. So the Agbeya for us is not just, it's not just a tool of prayer, it's a school of prayer. The Agbeya, like the liturgy, like the psalmody, like all, of, like all of our holy books, they teach us how to pray. Is there not such a thing as an unacceptable prayer? Is it, does that not exist? 
So there is a way that it, of prayer that is acceptable to God and there's a way of prayer that is unacceptable to God. How will I know this? From the patterns shown unto me. How did my fathers pray? What did they pray for? And, what, and based on that, I build my own prayers. The Agbeya, for example, and I'm taking this as one example, but you, I'm sure you guys can think of a million of other examples. But the Agbeya, like so many things in the church, they provide for us the runway. The, the runway for the plane, it gives it a direction and tells it, you're gonna go in this direction. The idea, it's not for the plane to remain on the runway its entire life. It needs to take off. But at least when it takes off and does its own thing, it's taking off in the right direction. So when your prayers start on a solid ground, solid foundation of the Agbeya, for example, well then, you will, through it, you will be able to soar into your own prayers, but at that point, your prayers will have a depth you never thought was possible. And you will tap into a spirit that's been going on in mankind since the beginning. You will find a new depth in prayer you never thought you could reach on your own. And actually, you would not have been able to reach on your own had you not taken from the spirit of the fathers that have come before you. Like, you know, we could, we could pray the same Psalms every day and the same gospel and the same litanies every single day and it's, it starts to get like repetitive. But with, when you develop, when you start to develop some sort of consistency and, and it starts to become regular, then the Psalms and the gospel and the litany start to make, like you start to memorize. Slowly, slowly, you start to catch on. And then slowly, slowly, it makes its way from the head down to the heart. And at that point, you're going to come, for example, one day, and then you ha you're having like a terrible day or a terrible morning, whatever it is. And for example, you'll stop at the psalm that says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And all of a sudden, the sentence hits you like it didn't hit you yesterday or the day before. And then you start to go on a tangent based on that verse. And then it, it starts to go into your own meditations of, Yes, Lord, actually... Like, how long will you forget me? Tab, I know that you don't forget me, but for how long am I going to start to feel this way? Like, why, why is it that I'm feeling this way? And, and when are you going to come and rescue me like you rescued Moses and you rescued all these people in the Bible and I hear all these stories? And your prayer starts to become deep. And you start to relate to, like, it becomes like an, almost like an eternal prayer. The prayer that was prayed 2,000 years ago, you're relating to it today and it's applying to you today. So the second point, the second point, He made it with glory as commanded by the Lord. So our spiritual lives must be built according to the commandments of God and according to the patterns of our fathers that have come before us and have lived the spiritual life. The last point for this part says, um, if we move down, it says, sorry, through the shedding. Okay, sorry, go back up. 
Sorry, I may not have taken these paragraphs in order. Yeah, right here. So it says, through the shedding of his holy blood, he purified the faithful to be a justified people. Through the shedding of his holy blood, he purified the faithful to be a justified people. What does it mean for us to be justified? <clears throat> like in Arabic, it says, like Shaban Mubarraran. Mubarraran, it means you are innocent. It means us who are guilty have now been found innocent. Why? Through the shedding of His holy blood. So the boldness with which we enter into the presence of God is through the shedding of His holy blood. The, the high priest, as we said, enters into the holy of holies with his hands filled with the blood of the sacrifice. Now when I enter church, I'm not entering with the blood of bulls and oxen and sheep. I'm entering because of the blood of Christ. King David, when he talked about the temple, he says, but as for me in the multitude of your mercy, in fear of you, I worship towards your holy temple. In the multitude of mercy, he enters into the house of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that the requirement for you to enter into church is a multitude of mercy. Imagine how much more for us to go and stand wherever we want and then take communion and forget all of this. King David stopped at the door and he said, in the multitude of your mercy, I enter into your house. It's almost as if like he's entering like this and he's almost afraid am I gonna get struck down or not and then once he enters and seems like nothing happened thank you God that in the multitude like you bathed me in mercy so I could come and stand before you through the shedding of his holy blood Tub, what is how does that apply to my spiritual life is that so many times I entered I enter into God's presence or, or even I stay outside and I'm like no no I can't like it's it's too much, too much dirt, too many sins, too much like mix up and like garbage going on. I cannot bring myself to come into church or to continue to try to pray or to continue into the spiritual life. It's getting too much. And then we start to feel that despair or that giving up feeling. You guys ever feel that? That feeling of like, like, I have sins surrounding me in every direction and I don't know where to start from and it just seems like I just want to crawl to fetal position and cry because I have too many sins and I don't know where to start well then the church comforts us and says it's not by your goodness that you become purified or that you become justified that's God's job it's to justify you and your job ends at trying there's a very nice book, it's called Toward Repentance. And he says, what God expects from you is the struggle, not the outcome. What God is, expects from you is the struggle, not the outcome. What does that mean? It means that victory over sin is not actually your job. Victory over sin is not your job. Your job is to struggle against it. 
Your, your job is to try. And then in another place in the book, it says, as long as your heart cries out to God, you are victorious. You are only defeated when you stop calling out. When you stop trying is when you are defeated. As long as you try, you are successful. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if you guys understand how comforting that is. Imagine you have like a very hard exam that you're studying for. And imagine I come and tell you, listen, as long as you study your best, you're going to pass. Regardless of what's on the exam, regardless of what you write down, regardless of the result, as long as you study your best, you're passing. Is this not something to give us great comfort and encouragement? To just try and then the rest is not even up to us? But how do we get that confidence? Is when I'm confident that I'm justified by His blood, not by my works. St. Mary in, the, in chapter 1 of the Gospel of St. Luke, she has like, you know, the, there's a section that's called the Song of Mary. She said, He has done great things with the humble. He has exalted the lowly and the proud He has thrown off. Because she sees that it's not her who's great. It's God who makes us great. And it's not our job to be great. Actually, it's not our job to be great. That's God's job. Once you split the tasks between you and God in the spiritual life, things become so much easier. And the load becomes much lighter. We sometimes forget that Christ is the one who carried the cross. Yes, I'm expected to carry it with Him. But between you and me, who's going to carry the weight? You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, imagine like a father who needs to like move a fridge. So like the fridge is toppling on him and then he's like pushing the fridge. And then his little kid comes like from underneath him and says, Dad, Dad, I'm going to help you. He's like, yeah, okay, go help me out. And then the kid is pushing from the bottom with all of his strength and he's doing like maybe 0.001% of the job. But then he's like, he's like yeah, yeah, I'm, I, Dad, I'm pushing it. I'm moving it. And then his dad is like encouraging, yeah, yeah, you're doing a great job. You're moving the fridge. Look at you go. He's being encouraging. But who's moving the fridge? The kid's job was just to help out his dad. The dad is happy with his kid helping. Even if he's doing zero, let's face it, the dad is happy with his kid, with his kid helping. If a, if a child is trying to walk, you know, in his first steps, and then he falls, is the dad upset with him because he fell? Why is he not upset with him? Because that's the expectation. The expectation is that you're gonna fall. That's the norm. When does the get, so the dad never gets upset and never gets worried that the kid fell. When does the dad start to get worried? When he stops trying to get up. He just falls and he said, that's it. Walking is not for me. He's like, well, what do you mean? Like that's, that's not an option. Giving up is not an option. Trying and failing a million times is fine. That's normal. But giving up is not an option. How do we, how do we get to this point of never giving up? Through the shedding of His holy blood, we are purified and we are justified, not by our own works.
think we should maybe stop here. Like, yeah. I know there's, there's still the second one. Yeah, can do a conclusion and then I've prepared some reflection questions. And okay, yeah. all right. So, sorry, I know at the beginning I told you guys we would do two items per talk. I'll try to squeeze in more items into the, into the following talks. We'll stop here for like the tabernacle. So basically, from the three points that we took, so it says, which is called the Holy of Holies, wherein are the tablets of the covenant. The point that we extracted from there is that our spiritual life should have two sections. The one with the holy place, which is the communal part of our spiritual life, and then the Holy of Holies, which is the one-on-one -on -one with God. And we said that both are equally important. Uh, next, we said, he made it with glory as commanded by the Lord and according to the pattern shown unto him, showing that our spiritual life should be built or should be striving towards fulfilling all the commandments of God. But there's also another important component, which is to follow the patterns of those who have come before us. And finally, through the shedding of his holy blood, he purified the faithful to be a justified people, which basically gives us that boldness and that courage and that encouragement and perseverance to strive and to continue in the spiritual life, no matter how hard the road gets, because we are justified by Him. And actually, probably that's what kept St. Mary going through all of her trials and tribulations, whether it was walking, uh, like Abuna was saying yesterday in his talk, like 200 kilometers to go to St. Elizabeth, or it was people judging her because she was pregnant and like apparently not married, or it was St. Joseph who was starting to have doubts. Through all of these trials, what keeps her going is that she is taken care of by God. Any questions or comments? Sorry, I prolonged on this one. Abuna? No, that's great. Um, thank you very much, Mark. I think you gave us a lot to um, a lot to to, to chew on. Um, and I don't know about you, but I'm feeling like I want to kind of process some of this because. Um, Remember the goal, like the goal of today, is not just uh, to become more familiar with the rites and rituals of the church. That's really nice, and it's really good, and um, and that's that. But really, like my, forgive me, my desire, my goal for myself and for you is higher than that. But it is to become more, more and more the dwelling place of God. More and more, the the the, the tabernacle was made in a specific way. It wasn't like Marx was saying. It wasn't like anybody however they want you know so God wants you know he wants his home to be built in a, in a certain way and I want to build him a home that way the way he wants so he can dwell in all of his power and Mark has given us some things I think to chew on I just took like four of the things that Mark talked about not not all of them um, to make it personal so Mark told us that like the, the holy place there was like the holy place and the holy of holies. The holy place is like communal prayer. So, what is one aspect of communal worship that you want to thank God for and partake more of in the future? So, what's a way that you've worshipped God with others that's been a really big blessing to you? Let's take a moment to celebrate that. Let's take a moment to, to, to thank God for it. Thank you, God, for putting this in my life. And to recognize it and to highlight it a little bit so that because sometimes like you get busy and so on and then next time you pick up the announcements sheet or or, or, or you're looking at on Facebook or whatever and you see there's an event going on you know you, you might pass it by but because you took a moment now because I take a moment now to realize this is something that's really meaningful for me 
maybe that will highlight it for me in the future and allow me to participate in communal worship. Pause now and thank God for it and make a plan of how to enjoy it more in the future. Then there was the Holy of Holies, wherein were the tablets written by the finger of God. God is writing in your heart and in mine with His very own finger. What has God written in your heart? Try to think of a message or two that God has written in your heart. And I know if you're anything like me, God shares with me really beautiful things in my, in my holy of holies. And I step out into the busyness of life and I completely forget them. So what can we do to put these things more at the forefront of our mind? What can I do so that like, like they become like the glasses by which I see the world? So it's not just an experience I had in the Holy of Holies, but it's something I can carry with me. And then sometimes that thing, the next question is building, the third one is building on the second one. Sometimes God has commanded me to do something in my Holy of Holies, in my secret place. What are you doing about that? Has God commanded you to do something? Are you doing something about it? Are you not? If God has commanded you to do something, what are you going to do about it? And what can you do right now? The secret answer to procrastination is to do something now. You can't do the whole project now. In the next 25 minutes, you won't be able to. Do God's visions for us are usually very big. It's probably impossible. But you could do something. You could send a text message. You could write something down. You could block some time in your schedule, in your calendar of this week to, to, to address it. You can do something in these 25 minutes. You can take a first step towards obeying what God has commanded you to do in your secret place. So that's, question, that's the third question. And the fourth one, pattern, the pattern shown unto him. What is a pattern of spiritual life that you have seen and that you would like to emulate? What can you do? Write it down. When we did a we did a teaching on goal set, setting at the end of last year, and I shared with you that there's this statistic which has been contested, but most people agree to it. But it's been contested, but nonetheless, that you're over fifty percent more likely to achieve something because you wrote it down. So if you if you decide, yeah. I think I really want, like Mark spoke about Ibeya, and I used to do that, but I stopped. I really want to do that. Don't like want to do that like in, in your like dreamy half somnolent state. Do, want to do, write it down. Write down, I want to pray Ibeya on a regular basis. Whatever, you know, whatever it is for you, right? You just, just writing it, putting it into words, seeing it. I don't know what the magic is of pen and paper, but it helps a lot. Sounds good? And we'll meet upstairs at 1, 1.30, 1.40 to, to pray to him. God bless you.